listening to Chillin' Grace, the lifestyle podcast for women disrupting the norm by chilling in their truth and gracefully inspiring others to do the same. As a certified coach who works with successful women to disrupt the norm by trusting themselves with what they want for their life, it's always been super important for me to showcase women doing just this. We all deserve to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, and to know we aren't alone when what we want for our life may seem too big, too different, or too weird. Thank you for tuning in, and let's get to it. Welcome to episode 14 of Chilling Grace. My name is Holly Crevo, and I am so excited to be here with you today. Before we get into today's podcast, I want to talk a little bit about expectations and how our expectations for this year may be holding us back from moving forward. I know that when we set out for this year, our expectations were different than they are now. Circumstances are different between our wildest um, nightmares, <laughs> dreams, and we're now in a place of readjusting our expectations. Yet so often we sit in this place of this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I should have been. And you have every right to feel that way. Um, so many things were robbed from us this year, whether it's time, experiences, um, you know, ex- time with family, career changes, whatever that looks like, things have shifted but it does not serve us to sit in our former expectations. It just causes resentment, it stifles us, and it really holds us back from moving forward. So it's really important for us to, one, it is important to mourn our losses. The loss you're feeling, no matter what it is, is valid. And it can be something from as terrible as losing a family member to not being able to you know, have these experiences with your friends and family. And it's okay to mourn those. This isn't a competition of mine's worse than yours or mine's not as bad. It's okay to mourn those and then move forward and readjust. And that's what I wanted to share with you today. And I also have created a mindset exercise to kind of shift your mindset around your expectations. It's on my website at hollycrevo.com, or you can also find it in the show notes. And I created this tool as a way to think of what you want your expectations for your life and why they're important to you, and then figure out a way that you can still honor why it's important to you in a different way. Because here's the thing, it's been a terrible year for a lot of people in many different ways, but we still cannot sit in that and excuse this year away because of the circumstances. It's time for us to move forward and readjust our expectations. And the way things are going, this could be happening <laughs> daily at this point or weekly. But if we want to make moves in our life and if we want to look back and say, I didn't just, you know, excuse my year away let's start with our expectations. Again, you can find an exercise in my notes below and also on hollycrevo.com. Today, I am sitting here with Patty. Patty is somebody I met in an online community and I loved her story of coming from a very religious Southern background and really stepping out of that and creating her, her true life. So I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did and let's get to it. Hello, Holly, happy Friday. Oh, happy Friday. It's like funny though, because now it's like, do days even matter anymore? It's like a weird, it's a weird space. I mean, they do, but. Still. No, it's, <laughs> it's true. It's like, I have felt like every day is a Thursday for, I don't know, three months now. So I never, almost the weekend, but never quite. <laughs> every day is a Thursday. That's funny. I don't know if that's like good or just really terrible. It's just, it's like almost good, but ooh, like stops right short. Yeah, you're like, wait a minute. That's awesome. Well, we met online through an online community we're both involved in, and we had connected, and you kind of told me your story, and I was so impressed with you as you've 
really kind of, you know, disrupted your norm and kind of recreated your path several times over. And so I was asked you to be on here because I thought you have such a great story to tell. And also you founded this organization that I think, you know, we'll talk about that later, but it's so timely, especially in the time that we're in right now. And it's called The Way Back, which is really about meaningful connection and allowing us to be heard and seen for who we truly are. So I'd love to hear more about that as well. So thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So before we get into this, why don't you tell our listeners kind of just a quick little snippet about Patty? Sure. Yeah. Um, Well, I grew up in a holler. So it's like a rural area in the Smoky Mountains of East Tennessee. So at heart, I am a Southern girl. Um, The accent comes out, you know, when I have, uh, when I'm tired or have a little bit of drink. So right now you don't hear it, but it certainly (laughs) is underlying. Um, Like most people in the area that I grew up, really early. So uh, I was 19, um, which, which seems early, but you know, a lot of people there even get married younger, um, even even nowadays. So um, yeah, I kind of started my journey as like, you know, what what I thought like the typical um, person in my in my culture would do. And really, I stopped short at that point. Um, I, uh, instead of, you know, having kids and, and going down the stay at home route, I decided that I actually wanted to to get out of the area. I wanted to move somewhere. And um, I came to Denver on a business trip and decided this is where I should be. And so my husband and I at the time moved to Denver without knowing anyone um, or really knowing much about it. And a few years later, I woke up one day and it just hurt to live. And I just thought, what what did I do wrong? Like, you know, what am I, what's happening? And so I started going to therapy and realized, you know, serving me in any way, shape or form. And I just uh, totally turned everything upside down. So that's, uh, that's the starting point there. Yeah. Oh, I, I think that's such a fascinating question too, to wake up and be like, this hurts. Like, what did I do wrong? Because mm-hmm. on paper, you did everything right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like according, qu- I'm quoting, air quoting here, you know, right. Yeah. But that's so interesting that you were like, I thought I did everything I was supposed to. What did I do wrong? Right. Yeah. So um, I love that. So we had talked a couple weeks ago about what this could kind of look like. So I thought we'd kind of, you brought up three great points that were kind of important for you to get across that I think will be so valuable to the listeners. And so I thought we could kind of theme the conversation that way and talk about each of those points, if that works for you. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. One thing we talked about is that, you know, and this kind of ties into what you said, like, what did I do wrong? Talking about how the safe path is not necessarily safe. What does that mean for you? Yeah, you know, um, I used to have all the answers, um, what what the path looked like, what you should do. If you asked me 10 years ago, that I knew today, it's really funny. Um, <laughs> and, and I'll do air air quotes, you know, I knew all the right things that you should do. And I would tell you, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, now what I've learned is it, you know, I think the question is, is safe, you know, even real, um, you know, I think it's a false sense of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've, I've stayed in corporate jobs most of my life, even though what I truly wanted, what I deeply desired was something very different. Um, but I stayed in the corporate job because I felt that it was safe. You know, I worked at Chipotle headquarters when they were in Denver, Colorado. I had a really um, great time there, but I was quite a workaholic. Um, and, you know, in my view uh, at that time, 
the safe path was climbing the corporate ladder and, um, you know, just getting more responsibility and more money and more money and more money. And um, I, mm-hmm. you know, got to the point where I decided, um, actually, I, I was coming to Amsterdam for a trip and I was trying to learn how to ride a bicycle at the time. And because I'd never learned, um, you know, typically you learn when you're little and, and I never learned. So anyway, I had a horrible bicycle accident here uh, before I even left Denver. And then when I got to Amsterdam, I couldn't even walk around because uh, I was oh, so no. injured. So basically I was there for a week and I just laid in bed and, um, you know, a few days of laying in bed will just make you think and think. And so I just decided, man, you know, I really wanted to have my own, um, you know, go out on my own. And, you know, fear was stopping me and the safe path was stopping me and all these things was in bed in Amsterdam. I just decided I'm just going to see if I could get any clients. And so I did a little bit of research and found two clients. My first two clients were Microsoft and Sherwin-Williams. And I got so much work in bed in Amsterdam that I had to decide immediately whether I was going to quit my full time job and jump into that or if I was going to, you know, um, extend the uh, workaholic environment that I was already in. And then you know, and the same thing is like, um, you know, with divorce, you know, I, um, again, the safe path for me as a, you know, very religious upbringing that I had, you know, you don't get a divorce. It's, um, and mm-hmm. so I was very, you know, active in my church. I was a marriage mentor. Um, I, helped other people that were newlyweds. If you were going to get married in the church, you actually came through me um, to, to be able to, to get married. You know, there was like a certain set of things that we did. And so I had all of these things like this corporate job, this marriage, all these things that just were the safe path, but they just were not serving me. And, uh, and I think that it was because it was, you know, safe isn't even real that what, what is safe. So Right, right. When was, you know, because like you, you said, you were, you know, having success, you know, corporate, you were a marriage counselor, or marriage um, mentor, mentor, mm-hmm. mentor, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was gonna call you a counselor, marriage mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, when was the first time that you were started to realize like, mm, I don't know that this is for me? Well, um, so I went, you know, I woke literally as a day, I just woke up and just thought, Oh, ow, hurts to live. And I um, didn't know what to do. Um, And so I went to therapy and I was actually in therapy for an entire year before we even broached the topic of could my marriage be (laughs) one of the things that is not Mm -hmm. uh, supporting me? Because I really thought that uh, one of us would die if we got a divorce. It was it was extremely Mm -hmm. crushing for me. And um, and anyway, uh, you know, so, so I decided, you know, to have the conversation with my husband at the time, I think things are going. And he said, mediocre. And I thought, I mean, I didn't think I said out loud, I said, Oh my gosh, I mean, is mediocre. Like, is that the life we want to live? And, mm-hmm. um, and so once we decided, you know, okay, that was the end of that, but we, um, had a very, what I would call enlightened divorce. We, uh, were very much as much of friends as we always were. Then it was a few months later is when, you know, I, I, I was like, what else in my life, you know, is, is not supporting me. And then I kind of started looking at the work situation and that's when the Amsterdam came up and things just fell into place. So I think when you start to become open, um, you know, Mm. I mean, how could I have predicted that, you know, I'd end up in bed for a week in, you know, Amsterdam and, uh, just have a lot of time to lay there and twiddle my thumbs and say, well, maybe now's the time to 
from the bed here, see what I can uh, do about jumping off this, you know, corporate safe feeling ship I'm on. Oh, yeah. What a great reminder, too, because I'm sure you were going to Amsterdam very, very frustrated. You're like, I'm, I'm going to this great country and I'm going to be stuck in bed. Yep. And just kind of what can I do with this time that's not ideal and how do I use it? And obviously it springboarded you into your new career. Yeah. And I think that's a good reminder, too, of like, um, you know, you, you might not always get what you want, but you often get what you need. And I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I thought about not going. I mean, how, how fun could it be? Um, oh and the plane God. ride, yeah. my God, the plane ride, <laughs> because <laughs> I feel like all the injuries I had and whatnot. Oh, it was, uh, it was quite a, a, a mess, but yeah, like I certainly got what I needed. And, uh, I think it was maybe a, a week later is when I actually quit my job. Um, you know, cause I had to take a little bit of time to think about all this work I had gotten just inadvertently laying in bed. <laughs> and I was like, what am I going to do? And I mean, I, I really felt like I was going to, you know, like vomit Mel mm-hmm. of, um, you know, like basically severing my relationship with my steady paycheck, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so were the two, um, was your divorce and then kind of this ch- leaving a steady, you know, corporate job to kind of start your own thing, were those the two biggest pivotal points for you when you realized the safe path is not always safe? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the other piece, obviously, was religion, because I had grown up in a Southern Baptist traditional environment where, um, you know, you don't, like I said, get divorced, it's wrong. Um, And here I was, a marriage mentor in my church, and so looking a bit like a hypocrite. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, one one of the questions I had to struggle with was, you know, um, what, what is this religion? What, what is, you know, what is this, um, piece about, you know, that if it would have kept me and my husband at the time, um, basically in a situation that was not supporting either of us, you know, we both were extremely happy after the divorce. I mean, you know, well, we'll, I'll Mm -hmm. tell you, there's a few months of depression in there because, you know, neither of us had been, Mm -hmm. um, had been adults without being married. I mean, we basically grew up together. So it was, I think we were married, it was like 12 years. So it was quite a a long time that we were together, but, you know, the other piece was the religion and, and thinking like, you know, it, as I think about and reflect on my, um, it's like, what pieces of this are culture? What pieces of this are religion? What pieces of this are mm-hmm. spirituality? And which pieces really fit with where I am? So really, it was those three things, you know, work, life, um, relationship, and also my foundation. So really, just, you know, mm-hmm. all the big heavy hitters <laughs> that you might have. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's interesting. Like you said, is it a cultural? Is it religion? And um, I've, you know, seen this a lot is that with clients or just people and friends is it's like, you have to stop and think, wait, is this what I believe anymore? Mm-hmm. Or how important is it? Like, but it's, um, especially with something like your religion or culture or family, you know, history, it's always a stop to have that awareness, which sounds like you were kind of going through. Right. Exactly. So, you know, kind of, you talk about like growing up in the South and, um, did you ever have any inkling that you wanted something different than what you saw as a possibility yeah. at that time? Yeah, always. Um, I, I remember, okay. you know, from a very young age, just, um, you know, my, my papa, um, you know, 
taking me to the side and, and he hated his, his job, but he was so very faithful. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, um, he was on dialysis, you know, the last few years of his life, he had, um, lung cancer. Uh, he was very, very ill, but he continued to work as, you know, as long as he was, you know, humanly capable of doing it physically. And I remember him pulling me to the side when I was young and saying, you know, you're going to have to get a job. You're not going to like it. That's not what it's about. Um, you know, I, it's better to accept it sooner rather than later, you know, and then, um, the expectation was, you know, that you would get married and that, you know, grandparents uh, pass away, then you basically, you know, move into their house. And then, you know, a lot of the houses there are kept generation after generation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a real strong sense of what your future should look like. And I just remember thinking from a very young age, I don't want to even be here, like when I get older. But the problem was, I had a little bit of hard time figuring out, well, well, like reimagining what my future might look like. Mm -hmm. But I did know it wasn't what I was looking at directly around me, for sure. Oh, interesting. Do you remember anything um, that you saw, anybody you met, or do you just feel like it was a knowing inside of you that you were like, I don't know what it is, but this isn't it? Um, it was, it was like every person that I saw, it was everything. It was, um, you know, it's like we would have dinners at my house and all the, uh, the women served the men, um, you know, mm. and my dad was very much, you know, felt that that's the way it should be. And, um, you know, the, you know, it's like, you know, you should, you should be seen and not heard. And, um, so it, you know, th thank goodness for therapy because <laughs> there's a lot of that go that goes into that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, uh, and I think that kind of like brings us to that, like, you know, it, it's, it's, um, us because definitely people mm -hmm. in the area that I was in every you know a lot of people were very similar and so that's what you should do and so it's you know you sh I should stay you know should says you know I should stay in my small town I should have kids um, but my must said that something else was calling me and um, mm -hmm. El Luna has a book called The Crosswords of Should and uh, Crossroads of Should and Versus Must if if anybody's kind of playing around with like, what is my should versus um, she says, you know, there are two paths, mm -hmm. two paths in life should versus must. We arrive at this crossroads over again and again. And each time we get to choose. And that's so very true for me. Um, you know, should is like how others want us to show up. I remember my mom saying, you know, I would come back into town visit her and she would say, you know, there's your friend Ashley over there from, you know, high school. Why don't you just, you know, she's in her grandmother's house and can't you do that? I'm like, mom, I would have to have a puke bucket next to the bed so that every day when I woke up, I would puke in it because <laughs> I just would not be happy. And, you know, and my mom, you know, bless her heart. She wants me to be happy. And, she, and that was one of the big things is because I know I should not get divorced. When I called her and said, you know, I'm getting a divorce. I was really not looking forward to that call. And, and all she said was, you know, well, I just want you to be happy. And I thought, dang, that's a, that's a good mom right there. Mm. So, yes. Well, and yeah, and that's like you said, that's a great segue into our second point is talking about the shoulds versus the must. Mm -hmm. And I am, shoulds are a big piece of the clients I work with talking about, you know, your should shackles and how we carry these shoulds and we don't even know we carry mm -hmm. them. Um, and it's, how do you differentiate, differentiate between 
like a um between a should that you have put on yourself and then maybe a should that somebody else has put on you if that makes sense well you know I think it it goes back to that you know should is how others want us to show up and um Mm -hmm. and you know at this point I'm really only interested in in the musts you know who I am what I believe my Mm -hmm. true self like what is the essence of me um you know for one of the the things is you know I had put a lot of shoulds on me as far as like be successful and and that success had a very specific look to it and the look was financial Mm. so you know it was it was a really interesting thing to kind of let go of that should because it's very scary to let go of a should especially a should that you put on yourself um you know Mm -hmm. I had never been making so much money um when I decided to leave my corporate job and it was a very difficult decision because it was basically leaving the comfort and the should that I had really identified with my whole life for basically, you know, my must, which is like not being overworked, having a peace buffer, having Mm -hmm. space, you know, um, working in the way that I want to work, working with the people, you know, the clients that I choose to work with. And, you know, all of that, I think, has kind of led me to, you know, the way back. And uh, I think the thing that I'm, I'm looking for in my own life is meaningful connection and to be seen and heard for who I truly am. And I find that it, it can be a little difficult to get to those, get to that place where you're seen and heard for who you truly are. And, um, mm-hmm. and that's why, you know, the to me because um, I believe that that is a way for all of us to learn about each other and our differences and our perspectives and also how we're alike. And, and that is my, that is my must. And I'm really grateful, you know, that um, I did not let fear overtake me because it, it certainly uh, the first, I'd say, you know, 30 some years of my life, it's been pervasive for sure. The fear has been, per- or the fear and the shoulds have been. Yes. Pervasive. Yeah. I mean, that's really, I didn't even yeah. know there was another way to live really. Um, you know, I, mm. I, and I would say, you know, the, the, the feeling of, oh, wow, this is, uh, you know, when I woke up that day and I thought, oh, this is, um, it hurts to live. You know, one of the reasons why is because I had, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because if I had not numbed myself, then then I would have had to done something about it. I would have had to have taken an action that would have, you know, been uh, breaking out of that fear, but I just couldn't break out of it for so long. So, um, you know, that's the, the numbing I think is, is a big, a big thing. It's why I think I was a workaholic um, because Mm -hmm. that allowed me to numb myself and be busy at the same time. So that way I could be distracted and not have to even sit with it. And even now, some, sometimes when I am super peaceful and I don't have um, a lot on my calendar, you know, one day or whatever, and I just sit, um, I've noticed that like, sometimes I'll become a little bit emotional or, you know, sad Mm -hmm. or, you know, feel something. And I've talked to my therapist, like I should, ha- I mean, I have had it so much harder in my life. Like this is the best time of my life. Why would I feel anything like that? And um, she said, it's very common with people who have numbed themselves 
Um, and then later, when you actually have space and peace, those things then arise because you're going to either deal with them um, now or later. And so for me, it's later. Right. Yeah, because like you said, you were very successful, but you were workaholic. So you were just spending all your time and energy tied into work and not dealing. If you'd stop, you'd have to deal with what was in front of you. Exactly. And that was too scary. It sounded like it. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Oh yep. my gosh. It's super scary. Nobody. Yeah. And, and it tied into your shoulds, right? You're like, well, I'm successful. I'm making X amount of money. Like I'm doing all the things or most of the things, mm-hmm. right. That I was raised to believe I should. Right. Definitely. How do you, how do you, or what advice would you give for somebody to recognize if it's a, I mean, I think there are various different emotions, a should or a must, but how do you, how would you tell somebody to recognize those in their life? Yeah, I think shoulds are energy drainers, um, you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and musts are energy givers. So, um, you know, musts feel a little scary and shoulds feel really comfortable. You know, it's, um, Mm -hmm. it's, I, I would say that, I have grown so much more in my musts than I ever did with my shoulds. Um, You know, anytime you think, oh, I'd really, you know, like there's something like tugging, tugging at you, but then you're like, oh, you know, um, what will people think about that? Uh, Or, um, you know, what, what if this happens? Or like when you start feeling the fear creep in, oftentimes it's a must and, um, mm-hmm. and like I said, I mean, shoulds are just, you know, the, the easiest, the, I mean, it's in a way it's easy in a way it's, um, soul crushing because it's like, that's not your true self, <laughs> but it, but it's a low hanging fruit. It's something that's, that's easy to, it's like, it was very easy for me to, um, you know, to be super religious for me to, you know, get married super young. I don't even think I gave it any thought actually, you know, it just, I looked around like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is how, this is how we do it. Um, I, you know, but my musts are, uh, you know, they, they, they definitely drive some fear. And so I think for me, that's, that's one of the ways that you can kind of tell. And and they're exciting as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love it. And I, it's almost like what came to me when you talk about your shoulds is it is a little safer. It's, you don't have to do a lot of thought because that's what everybody's doing. And it's kind of like your baseline of where you want to live your life. Anyway. Yeah. You know, like it's not, over the top but it's just kind of like it's gonna get by and then I really love that you talked about the must that it is this part that lights you up but it's not gonna maybe feel that way in the first yes at the first time right it's gonna show up and you're gonna be like I can't do that like that's scary there's no way I can do that what will people think and it's like all those thoughts so not to work past that fear to excitement I'm sure fear still comes up in things that you do I know it does with Mm -hmm. me but realizing just because it feels scary and it doesn't mean it's bad. Right. <laughs> it's not a negative. Right. Yeah. It's, um, you know, and I think, you know, it, it goes back to that, you know, we are, um, you know, animalistically, we are, you know, um, innately taught to fear things, you know, uh, not even taught. It's just part of us. It's like part of our, our makeup, our DNA, you know, to, to keep ourselves safe. And that is helpful, you know, when you're, you know, walking around, you know, in caves and there's, you know, stuff, creatures, you know, trying to eat you and all this kind of thing, you know, that there is a place for that. But I think that now this fear pops up and it's, um, it's, it's a different, 
it's a different animal. It's, it's something that it's something to notice. It's something to be with. It's something to work through rather than running away from it. You know, it's like, you know, I'll go back to the divorce. Um, I, I had never been so scared my entire life. I mean, 12 years, you know, with someone that I was very good friends with. And uh, like I said, just really, you know, I was convinced that one of us would, would die. Um, you know, it would just be mm -hmm. so horrible. And, you know, when I had the conversation with him, the conversation that I had been dreading um, and, and I had actually, you know, it, it was, it was something where it had never been, you know, I needed to get out of my house when I was 19, you know, in the South, you're not going to be living with your boyfriend. Um, so it, it was certainly um, not like we were, oh, super in love and all this stuff. No, it was like we were really great friends. And, um, mm. and so, and we were, that's why, you know, I think we remained so, but, you know, whenever I had that dreaded conversation with him, you know, and I asked how things are going and he said mediocre. And I was like, man, like, who wants a mediocre life? Like neither, neither of <laughs> yeah. us. And, and so it was really interesting because, uh, you know, a few months, um, I think I told him on like, a we had the conversation on a Monday and by Wednesday we were at the courthouse just signing the papers. And I think maybe a, a week later he, he, you know, moved to Asheville, North Carolina to, um, you know, live in an area that he's always wanted to live in. And we mm -hmm. kept up with each other and had, you know, such great adventures that we got to tell each other about. And he was like, man, you know, I, uh, I'm so glad you had the balls to do this. And he was like, cause I never would have, but this was the right move for us. And, oh, and, yeah. and that was the must, you know, that was, you know, the should would have said, stay married the rest of your life. Cause that's what other people expect. Um, that's what society would expect. My must, mm -hmm. however, was extremely um, different than what that was. And thank goodness for my must. Mm. Yes, I love it. And like you said, it kind of freed him to do his must as well, even though he didn't, didn't know it maybe. At that yeah, time. absolutely. He would, he would certainly say that. Yeah. And how was it for you, you know, kind of growing up talking, you know, your marriage mentor, you know, you weren't raised to get divorced. That's not what people do. Like, how was it? How did you deal with kind of what people thought of your decisions during all this? Well, I think for the first uh, few months, I was extremely depressed. So I didn't really have to worry mm -hmm. about what people thought because I was just laying in my floor binge watching Netflix. And uh, so it didn't really matter um, for a while. And, you know, the depression didn't come from, you know, oh, you know, I'm not married anymore. It came from who am I? I mean, mm -hmm. I, I've never been an adult on my own. I've never lived alone. You know, I had never, um, I mean, he, he was a chef. He did all the grocery shopping. I mean, down to the like littlest, like, how will I eat? <laughs> like, you know, so just so yeah. depressed of, and also I think I had this piece of like, um, uh, well, if I'm not a wife, what, you know, what am I? So, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think I really had to worry about um, what will people think as much just because I was in my own um, realm. I think it would, would okay. have been worse if I was in the town that I grew up in potentially and we got divorced there. So I think, you know, Denver is a little bit um, different on that. You know, people get divorced all the time. Mm -hmm. So it, um, I think my biggest thing was, what's my mom going to say? And, you know, I told you what she said. So yeah. that, 
Yeah. I think sometimes we, we, we conjure up the worst things that someone could possibly say to us and we say it to ourselves and, and you know what, nobody actually ever even says it oftentimes. So <laughs> isn't that just the saddest it thing? Is. And I know I've done it in my life and then you say it and you're like, I spent a lot of time mourning this, scared of this, <laughs> and it was never anything to worry about. Right. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you how many times I had the conversation with mom in my um, mind and then when, and all the horrible things that happened. And then I, you know, have this conversation with her and she's like, well, I just want you to be happy. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, that was easier. <laughs> yeah, that was not what was just, I was ready for this discussion. Right, <laughs> to tell you all the reasons why. And I have a list here yes. of all the things and just whatever, Aww. you know, and it's like none of that even matters. Yeah, no, I that's uh, I love that. She's like, she's like, I'm not gonna fight you on nope. this. And you know, I think the the third point we had kind of talked about, which you kind of brought up, so we'll kind of go into that, is kind of really believing in yourself. And I know that kind of feel can feel fluffy for people, but what was it for you? Like, when did you realize that you could believe in yourself? I think you know, it's it, it's um. When I started choosing must is really when mm -hmm. it kind of goes hand in hand, um, you know, choosing must definitely requires a leap of faith. Um, you know, I think for me, I, before I leapt off of the corporate ladder um, into a black hole of darkness is what I had imagined. Um, you know, I asked myself all these things like, you know, who do you think you are? I mean, are you good enough to like sustain yourself? Mm. I mean, how are you? Yeah, you found even when I found clients right away, I was like, Oh, yeah, well, you probably found them right, you know, these two right away. And then what happens when that runs mm -hmm. out? And, you know, for the first, I don't know, maybe year of um, being a consultant on my own, every hour that passed that I wasn't uh, making money, I would, you know, say, Oh, that was a billable hour. Oh, this is a billable hour. Mm. Oh, you're not making money. I, mean, I would literally, you know, put myself into a frenzy, mm. all of the, the things like, you know, why can't, you know, what you had be good enough for you? Do you think you're, you know, like too good for this? Or, I mean, all these mm -hmm. things. And I think that it's, um, it doesn't come all at once believing in yourself. It's like an incremental belief. You know, it's like the, the first, you know, paycheck that I got that was from a client that I had, you know, earned myself versus, uh, you know, a paycheck that I was used to getting. Um, you know, when I started writing the way back um, and, you know, it just set in a Word document and it was just like, I don't know how to publish a book, but I do know how to write. Um, some words in a word document. So I believed that I could do that. And I did that. Mm, um, mm -hmm. And, you know, going back to the, I, I had a blog post that came out on Thursday, uh, yesterday, and it's, um, you know, we aren't human doings, we're human beings. And I think just starting with that baseline, you can start to believe in yourself, because it's not about what you do. It's about just who the fact, the very fact that you exist is enough. And if you can mm -hmm. just start from there, then anything, you know, that you do is just gravy on top of that. And so, yeah, I think it's incremental. I love that. Cause I do, 
Yeah. And does that still, um, do you ever, do you still doubt yourself or does that ever come up for you? Oh, I wish I could say no, never. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do. I do still doubt myself. And, um, but there are like real tangible ways that you can, um, change your, neural pathways. So for example, Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember one time I I sent an email, um, to someone and they didn't reply right away. And my mind started going into a crazy rabbit hole of, you know, I don't, maybe they, maybe they don't even like me. Like, oh my gosh, they're just, they're ignoring my email. Like, um, well, maybe I should, what did I say wrong? Like going into all these things. And so the very next week I went to my, um, therapist and said, okay, here is um, an example of me doubting myself, analyzing this email, and I want to change this behavior. Um, go. <laughs> like, what do, what do I do? And she um, actually was able to help me, you know, go through some things that where you can, because my neural um, pathways where it's like that dirt road where it just, it always would go the same way. It's like, I would always doubt myself, always doubt myself. So you literally have to do things to counteract that. And then your mind actually starts going to a different, you know, down a different path instead of that old, you know, dirty rut that, you know, you're used to. Yeah it's pretty fascinating the way that, that you can have that control over your brain. And it's just, you know, having that awareness. And for me, it's even sometimes like you are great. You are capable. You are deserving. Yeah. I've got this. Yes. Like, it's just that like, you're like a cheerleader for yourself and it, it may feel silly, but like you said, you've got to start because we're prone as humans, I think, to think of the worst and not to doubt ourselves. Like, I don't know what that is. I'm sure there's some psychological term, but I love that. Like you're just kind of conscious of changing your thought pattern. And I think that that's something that I actually did not know. Um, You know, uh, my first like 30 years of life. I mean, I just thought like the Mm -hmm. way you think is the way you think. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I had no idea that you can actually do something about it. And I think that's why it's so important to be intentional with self love. And, you know, one of the things I do oftentimes is I come at myself from my 90 year old self's perspective. And I've like, mm-hmm. if I think, dang, you know, my hair looks like crap today or something. I think about what my 90 year old self would say. And, you know, my 90 year old self would be like, oh, child, you look so beautiful. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, what does she care? I mean, she think my hair looks amazing. Or, you know, like I, I write something and I'm like, I don't know if it's good enough. And my 90 year old self loves it. And she thinks it's just like, you know, the cat's meow. And so I think whatever it is that works for you, um, you know, I also have some really encouraging friends. So sometimes I'll call them and just say, this is how I'm feeling today. And they'll tell me how incredible I am. And I'm like, go on. Mm-hmm. What else? <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell more. me more about me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that the 90 year old self. I think what's helpful too is to stop and think like, what would I do if I heard one of my dear, dear friends talk to themselves this way? Yes. You know, or wh- what if like my best friend heard me say that to myself? Like she would try to beat my ass. She'd be like, what are you doing? Right. That's insane. Yeah. You know, but we do it to ourselves so easily. Oh, the negative self-talk. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I have yeah. A, an excerpt on that where I was walking down um, in Denver, Colorado with a friend. We were on our way to brunch and it was like a snowy day, pretty icy out on the sidewalks and she slipped and fell and she immediately was like, gosh, I'm such an idiot. 
And I looked at her and I was like, oh my gosh, if I just slipped and fell, would you have called me an idiot? And she was like, no. And I was like, well, then why did you just call yourself an idiot for slipping on ice? That's slippery. <laughs> but, yeah. but it's just so true. We all do that. Um, and, and, yeah. and hopefully less and less, the more intentional we become. Yeah. Well, and thank you for being open and honest about that. I think um, people see people doing great things and they think that there's never doubt that comes in or negative self-talk. And I think it just shows that all of us have to be, it's work. It's a, it's, it's a, something you're going to have to do every day to kind of really work on that. It's real work. And it's kind of like, you know, relationships are work. And I feel like relationships with yourself mm-hmm. is work. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of what it is. It is a relationship with yourself. Yeah, no. And I think with, when, you know, kind of talking to about what we see people in our perception, I think what's so interesting, and you shared this is that, you know, you were what, 30-ish when you got divorced? Yeah, I was. And like, you were like, how do I cook? What do I do? Because you had yeah. never lived on your own. But on the outside, you were a really successful mm-hmm. person, right? Yeah. So how, what was, did you feel that like, um, um, like force in your life that you were at that time? Sorry, let me rephrase yeah. that. Like when you got, when you were going through your divorce, mm-hmm. Did you have that thought of like, how am I like so successful in this world, but I don't know how to like go to the grocery store? Yeah. You know, um, I think that it was, I had, I definitely had those thoughts. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I just, I didn't even know if I would make it. I'm like, well, maybe this is just where I die. Like (laughs) I've made it Mm -hmm. this far. (laughs) And so, um, it, you know, I think what, what, actually helped me. I didn't go super far down that rabbit hole because I have such amazing, um, supportive friends, you know, like I would bring Mm -hmm. up to them, like, I'm going to starve to death. Literally. I'm going to just in my apartment, waste (laughs) away into nothing. And then you come over and you're like, I haven't heard from Patty in a few days and I'm dead in the floor from no food. (laughs) And they're like, that's just not true because, um, Mm -hmm. I worked at, um, you know, Chipotle headquarters at the time and we had an allowance and they're like, if nothing else, you'll just eat Chipotle for every meal. If nothing else, I'll come over and help you learn mm-hmm. how to cook. You know, if nothing else, you'll just get King Supers to deliver you some food from the grocery store because you don't feel comfortable, like, going up and down the aisles and doing, picking things out. Like, you know, so I think that that's the other thing is just, you know, sometimes you just can't do it all on your own. Sometimes mm-hmm. when you're, you've got to borrow um, some, like ideas and confidence and energy from friends um, when you're really low and Mm. like pushed down, you know, and that's kind of, that's that whole thing about like tribe living, you know, we, we come from tribes and that's how it was. And I think a lot of us now are um, a little bit more isolated and it's, it's important to have that meaningful connection with people around you because, you know, it, it takes a village to raise yourself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and I love that because, like you said, you're kind of borrowing the energy and skills mm-hmm. and mindset of your friends and your family when you need it. And I think that's a great, that's a great takeaway. Yeah. Um, and not being afraid to ask for it. Yes. Because I think we all like to give it, but we're not always great at asking oh, for it when we need it. I hate asking for it. And I think, mm-hmm. um, but once you get to the bottom of your energy and you don't have much left, you'll, you'll just ask for it. You know, there's when, when there's just like... <laughs> you have no energy for anything or, um, and you're just so pushed down. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're talking about your tribe and how important that is. T- tell, me, tell us a little more about the way back and what that is all about. Yeah. So the way back is um, a shared practice um, that allows for meaningful connection and allows you to be seen and heard for who you truly are in practice. What it, um, this actually started when I was at Chipotle headquarters. So um, I told my team at the time that I was going to sit down each morning and read something encouraging or inspirational. And um, they, you know, I said, you don't have to join me, but it would be pretty sad if I just sat over here by myself and, and did this. And so um, almost instantly, they all joined. And then after a while, they started inviting other people. And we had people from, you know, like marketing and sustainability and IT and finance. We had all these different people. And, and, and the we started off at a little table and it ended up having, we had so many people that we actually ended up on the patio. Uh, we called it patio time at that at that time, um, play on my name, but also since we were outside on the patio, it is fun. And, um, and what we found was it was so transformative. Like people would come that I had never even met and we worked in the same building, you know, and we, um, oftentimes would have people like, let's say that like someone was in it and they were working on a project. A lot of times they did not come to the training department, even though that they knew they needed training, um, on this software, that they were creating because they didn't know who to start with. And so it just like keeps slipping, keeps slipping. And then you get to the very end of it. And it's like, I need training ASAP now instead of it actually being planned out. And so a lot of those things started changing because of the interdepartmental silos were, you know, dissolving since we actually knew each other as people. Um, so it kind of started from there. And now it is a weekly shared practice. So organizations use it. Um, to meet, you know, different teams or they use it as icebreakers. I actually use it in the building. I live in a high rise in Denver and we've got a lot of neighbors. And so, you know, they have these events all the time where you go and, you know, you um, some kind of social mixer. And it's like, what do you talk about? I mean, the weather, like, when did you move in? Oh, where are you from? And it just, it just didn't go very far. It just was not, it was very surfacey, the conversations we were having. So I introduced it um, for the first time for a neighbors. And now we have people that are like my best friends that live in my building, just because we all started coming to this and actually getting to beneath the surface to really understand different perspectives. And we've got people of all ages from different cultural backgrounds, um, different beliefs, you know, belief systems. And it's just, um, I think that that's, that's the key is that it brings people from so many different backgrounds together and each day, uh, well, it's, it's like I said, it's a week. So basically you, you each, each um, it's called a spark. And so you read a quote and then you read a little passage and then there's always a prompt. And so it's just, it's about lots of different things. You know, it could be about leadership or success or failure or grief or lots of different topics. And, you just always have a prompt that people can then spark some conversation and help you get beneath that surface. And because it is a little bit difficult to do on your own in daily life. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Do you have like, do you have a favorite story you could share something that you've kind of seen the impact or something that's really meant a lot to you from that? Yeah. Um, so the, um, there was, uh, when I was, this was actually at Chipotle, 
um, one of the people that came, she was in the IT department and she was an individual contributor at the time. She was pretty um, introverted. And so she came for, you know, week after week after week after week and really didn't say much. And then um, one week she kind of started opening up a little bit. And what happens in these groups is that when someone starts talking, obviously everyone looks at them. And I think a lot of people have either lost their voice or have never even found their voice. But when they start mm-hmm. to trust in uh, the, you know, the, the folks that are around them, that they, they're not going to be judged, um, they start to open up more. And that's what she did. And so she like was like, wow, I really, I'm starting to find my voice. Like she would tell me this outside of the, mm-hmm. outside of the gathering. And um, now she is a manager in um, a different organization, and she credits the fact that she found her voice and was able to share with a group of people, and people actually started listening to what she had to say. And she was like, wow, I actually do have things to say. And I, and I it started building her confidence, and it was something she said she had never envisioned that she would actually be a leader in an organization. Um, so that, that's one of my favorite stories because it really just mm. changed how she saw herself. Oh my gosh. And you're probably right. There's probably people that haven't found their voice and they're in rooms of people probably like you and I yeah. who are like outgoing yeah. and talkative. And so you don't, and so now it's like, no, we want to hear you. And it, yes. it's supposed to, she would probably never step up anyway, but it's kind of like the room quiets down and everybody gets to speak their story. Right. Yeah. And I have, you know, I learned a lot, um, especially about what not to do when I started facilitating mm-hmm. this at uh, Chipotle, you know, cause it was just something I made up. So they're like, who knows the rules? I don't know. And, um, and so now <laughs> you tell me, <laughs> you tell me, Oh, I, sh- I have, to, I have to tell me, Oh, okay. So yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, things that there's a lot of pieces to the training um, of facilitating a, um, a way back gathering, you know, like, what do you do if people start you know, talking over each other? What if like someone's super quiet? What if someone gets super emotional? You know, what if nobody's talking? It's just like you can hear a pin drop. So I've got training for people on how to overcome all of those things. And, um, and, and that is important because, you know, without a good, you know, facilitator, uh, you know, that, that lady may never have spoke up. Maybe she would have, I don't know. Um, but, but it is important that everyone, you know, that the space feels safe and that it's a a supportive environment and that, that, that somebody's got to set that tone. Yeah, no, absolutely. If somebody would like to learn more about that, where could they go get more information on the way back? The waybackmovement.com. Um, there is the, um, you can see it live in action. So there's a video on there. Um, it's got, if you, if you sign up, you can get the first month free. So if you just want to try it out and see like, what is this even, um, you can get the first month free and and give it a whirl. There's training on there. Um, there is, um, the books you can buy the books on, on there. Um, and also I have, you know, a a blog where I send out kind of like weekly inspiration. It's, it's kind of like what's in the book, but, um, smaller excerpts of that. Oh, very nice. Okay. I will need to sign up for yeah. that. I didn't know you did that. Yeah. Get on there and sign up myself. Awesome. Well, well, Patty, is there anything that you, you know, if somebody is listening and they're kind of struggling with something in their life thinking, is this something I can do? I don't know if I should. I don't know if I can. What would be some advice you would give to somebody listening? Um, I would say listen to your must. And if you feel fear a little bit around it and excitement, 
you've got to do it. And um, it's something that you can do incrementally so that you don't have to, you know, just jump right in. It's like whenever I started writing the way back, like I said, you know, I didn't know how to write a book, um, but I felt like I knew how to write in a word document. And I didn't, I didn't, you don't have to figure it all out at once. Just what's one action that you can take in that step. Um, and then each step will unfold itself through people, situations, events, whatever it is, ideas, um, and just allow yourself to trust that process. I love that. And like you said, just one little step. I think that it's very easy to be like, it's too much. I can't do it. Right. Like, I don't know how to write a book, but I can type into my computer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I can do that. Well, Patty, it was so lovely. Thank you so much for spending time and telling us your story and about the movement you're doing, which I know is probably more important than ever that we are compassionate and kind with all the differences that we carry. Oh, I agree. A hundred percent. I hope you enjoyed that just as much as I did. I loved speaking with her and it's kind of funny. We had planned to record this a couple weeks before we actually did. And we had a uh, recording issue and I love her because she goes, I don't know that my energy is great. And I was like, it could be mine too. She goes, it'll be better later. And I'm so glad we kind of saved this podcast for the stakes. I know that we both brought great stuff with it. And she shared kind of her kind of three points she wanted to cross. And these are kind of my three aha moments from this time with Patty. Um, One, she talked about the power of being open. One of probably, I would think one of her biggest, boldest career moves, she made the decision when she was lying in bed in Amsterdam, stuck with a broken leg. Um, Not the ideal way you want to spend your time exploring Europe, but kind of just open to that time, right? Taking it in, saying, how can I use this time? And then she had that moment to look out. And then she had clients while she was sitting in bed. She got her first clients and just being open to the experience and saying yes to the next thing and just making those steps and the new options open and the next step and new options open. So often we look at this big picture of what we want for our life and it's just too far. It's like too much. So it's like, I preach, not preach this, like coach this. I believe this. It's like, what's the next best step towards that? And just be open. And what's the next best step and say yes to the things that serve that. And I think this shows more than anything that she still went on the trip and she still used this time in a way that impacted her life way more than if she would have been out and about exploring Amsterdam on foot. The other was how she talked about numbing and she talked about how she was not happy, but she was kind of numbing through work. And I think so often we think about numbing as either through food or alcohol or drugs, we can kind of numb what's going on. But I don't think what we talk about enough is that we can numb through work or staying busy or even exercise or even just being joyful all the time. There's so many ways we can numb our life. Um, And when I say joyful, it's not that that's not a great thing, but also being joyful and not dealing with what's underneath, using that as a facade. But so often we can numb with, quote, good things, and it's still distracting us from dealing with what we need to to live our truest life. And so for her, it was work, and she talked about how you know, on paper, super, super successful, but underneath was not a happy person. And I think this happens a lot more than we realize. Um, numbing does not always have to be something um, the society views as negative. It can be viewed as positive, and that could maybe be just as dangerous because we don't see the harm that it does. And then there she talked about her friends coming in her life, and, you know, she was at a point, she's like, how am I going to eat? Am I just going to, like, die in my apartment from starvation? And 
you know, they said, if nothing else, you can eat from Chipotle. If nothing else, you can have food delivered. And I love that. And I think that's a great lesson. Like, if nothing else, what can I do? Um, if nothing else. So whatever it is you're working on, if nothing else, I can, you know, make that call I need to make. If nothing else, I can go to the gym for 30 minutes. Like, if nothing else, I can at least do something. And I loved that she shared that because, you know, if nothing else, there's always something that can be done. So I hope you enjoyed that. I had such a great time. If you could leave me feedback and reviews, that would greatly help me. If you could leave those on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now. And please know that whatever it is you're working on right now, I'm rooting for you. Have a great day.